Let me begin by giving God all the glory as he always deserves it. Man, the music this morning puts all the attention on him where it belongs. That should be in every area of our life, but especially when we come into his house to worship him. We must decrease and he must increase. May we make much of Jesus. I love that story, Matt, of hearing someone sharing their faith in Jesus Christ with someone who needs faith in Jesus Christ to understand who he is, even on an airplane. Man, there are no borders to the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. That's why we have missionaries. That's why you and I are missionaries. That's why we give to the Annie Armstrong to spread the gospel throughout North America. That's why we give to uh, the International Mission Board through Lottie Moon and through our cooperative program giving so that we may see the gospel spread throughout the world. And I encourage you, if you've ever considered going on a mission trip, to come and talk to Brooke Smith or to myself, even today, while the Spirit is stirring you so that we can get you the information and get you booked into our trip to Haiti in June. We forget about them. They lost over 100,000 people in an earthquake uh, several years ago. And we think about how bad the damage here. I mean, good grief, we were out without power for five days. Well, they lost over 1,000 lives from Matthew as it swept across that little Caribbean island. And so today... I want us to stop for just a minute, and I want us uh, to look in God's Word about how we can be a witness for Jesus Christ, how we can share our faith and hope in Him. And let me begin by thanking everyone here. And I said I wasn't going to call any names, and so I'm not, because it literally took everyone involved to make it happen Friday night for our men's banquet. It was the greatest one we've ever had, by far. And for those of you who were not here, but you cooked or you provided something or you helped with something, I want you to understand. Now, if you can imagine with me for just one moment, there were round tables that filled this entire area. Every space was filled with round tables, and then we had to go get rectangular tables, and they stretched from that wall all the way to the back, too wide, all the way. And all of them had United States Army sitting at those tables. Church, you don't have any idea how far the gospel will spread we went, and I shook every single one of their hands. And I asked where they were from. They were from all over the state of Georgia. They were National Guardsmen. There were women and men soldiers who had come to Fort Stewart for training and did not realize in the midst of all their training they got ambushed with the gospel. I had the great privilege, I sat at a table right there. And as I sat 
Honestly, I didn't have time to fix a plate. So I just grazed for a minute, gave, got me one good handful of wild hog, and another hand I had me some good frog legs and, and some of Miss Pam's squirrel stew, and I sat down. And I sat and listened. I had six, listen, you hear all the negativity. I had six army officers with a cross on their lapel. I had Lieutenant Lowe. And I had Captains Watson, Whitaker, and Mize. I had Majors Peak and Struker. Six army chaplains who have and who are spreading the gospel even amongst the ranks. Hey, Wednesday night crowd, when we just kind of mentioned, hey, let's pray for our military. I'm here to tell you God's answering prayers. And I'm going to tell you how real God is. Sitting at that table was the only, and speaking was the only known Army Ranger, an airborne ranger, fought in five, five wars, everything from Panama when they captured Noriega to Mogadishu and to Afghanistan and Iraq. Jeff Struker stood and presented the gospel as clear as I've ever heard anybody speak. But then sitting at my table was Captain Whitaker. I'm going to tell you how real, Derek, you're going to love this. You want to talk about God's in things? I've told you all all along what the GT stands for. It's not Georgia Tech, it's God's team. Captain Whitaker wrestled on the wrestling team at Georgia Tech became a Navy SEAL. And in the midst of being a Navy SEAL, now come on, in American culture today, in our minds, there's no one tougher than a Navy SEAL. From, you know, SEAL Team 6 to Captain Phillips to all of those dark, zero dark 30, we hear all the stories. This dude was a real Navy SEAL sitting at my table. But here's what the gospel does. He went to his officers. He said, I want to be a chaplain. They said, a chaplain? No, you're a Navy SEAL. Dude, you're one of the few percent, uh, percenters that actually passed budge. You didn't ring out. You did it. You have fought for us. You fell from a helicopter. You're a Navy SEAL. God made you to be a Navy SEAL. He said, God made me to be much more. I want to be a chaplain. They said, as long as you're in the Navy, you're going to be a Navy SEAL. He said, okay, I quit. Walked over, went to an Army recruiter, and he said, I want to be an Army chaplain. They said, sign on the dotted line. And on his United States Army uniform is the Navy SEAL Trident. And someone looked at him, and they said, what is that? He said, let's try it. You're a Navy SEAL? He said, yes. Wow. He said, you're looking at the wrong side. He said, what do you mean? This is what I'm most proud of. The cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. There were 350 
who came here Friday night because you invited them. If you invite them, they will come. If you present the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of salvation. It is to the world foolishness, but unto them which are saved, it is the power of Jesus Christ. Church, this morning, I want you to know you can be a witness. You can be a witness. It doesn't take a famous testimony of fighting in a war. Every day is a battle, church. It does not mean that the only witness is somebody who served time in prison, who was a member of a gang. It doesn't mean that you had this horrendous childhood. Listen, if Jesus saved you, you've got the greatest story ever told. And you need to understand, God has called you as a believer to tell the world, Jesus saves. The lady on the plane. What was her name? Marcy? Yeah, same thing, only different. Narcy. She didn't save the woman. She just showed them who can. I've never saved anyone. Never. I've baptized hundreds of people. Never saved anybody. I've conducted many, many Lord's Supper. I've never saved anybody. I've invited and brought people to church. I've never saved anybody. I've preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I have never saved someone. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, Jesus does the saving. Jesus calls it the harvest. In Luke chapter 10, now you just turn on over with me to Proverbs. I just want to read you a couple of verses in Luke, and then we're going to go to Proverbs. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also. Now, he had his apostles, and then he had this group of 70, and he appointed them. And he sent them by two before his face into every city and every place, whether he himself would come. Now, I want you to understand this is much like the story of David. When David went to battle, and he said, Lord, shall I go? And God said, go, for the battle is yours. And he went, and God gave him victory. And guess what? These knuckleheads thought that they would come up against King David again. And so they set themselves in, a, in array to go to battle against David. And David thanked God in one great moment of clarity did not fall to arrogance and say, I already whooped you one time, I'll whoop you again. He paused and he said, God, here they come again. What do I do now? It's a great lesson of every step. You may have already stepped what it looks like in a place that you've had great victory and that you know what to do. But I'm here to tell you, the steps of the righteous are ordered and we ought to pray every step God, what should I do? And so David stopped and he said, God, here they are again. Do I go again? And, David, and God said, not yet. Not yet. But when you see the goings or the blowing of the wind in the tops of the mulberry trees, when you see that slight little breeze, 
blow through, you will know that I have gone before you. I want you to understand something, church. You want to know why Christians will not be a witness? Because we're scared. Why are we scared? Because we think we've got to do it. God told David, you don't have to fight them. I'll fight them. What Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world, but make no mistake about it. I'm sending you where I will be. He said, whether or whither, not whether, but whither or wherever he himself would come. You are not doing this alone. Parents, you feel frustrated, overwhelmed. You don't have to do it alone. Employee, employer, teammate, teacher, firefighter, police officer, pastor, church minister, whatever you do, you don't have to do it alone. And you feel the Holy Spirit saying you need to tell somebody about Jesus and you're scared to death. I know, I've, I've felt it many times, but you, you don't have to do it. You can know if God is leading you, he's not going to stand behind you and see how it works out. He will go before you. And so what does he say in verse 2? Therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great. In other words, there's, there's much to be harvested, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus called it the harvest. What do you reap in harvest? Do you go out and you pick weeds? you go out and pick up rocks? No, you pick fruit. You pick that which has grown. That which, though you may have planted the seed, God waters it, God gives the increase. Paul told them that. I can't create harvest. God gives the harvest. But he's called us to be laborers. He's called us to go into the fields. For they are white unto harvest. Oh, how plenty the harvest is. Solomon called it the fruit of the tree of life. And so in Proverbs 11, verse 30, Proverbs 11, verse 30, one verse, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit, that which we produce will be a tree of life. When we operate inside the will of God because he said the fruit of the righteous, not of the fruit of the carnal, not the fruit of those who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, not the fruit of the abuser, not the fruit of the hypocrite. He said the fruit of the righteous. You said, but by preacher, the Bible says there are none righteous. No, you're exactly right. So who is he talking about? He's talking about that person who is allowed and who has given up all rights to themselves, fallen at the mercy of the mighty hand of God and said, God, I am useless. I am a waste. I am a broken vessel. If you can use me, Father, use me. Your Lord, I'm not. He's talking to the faithful who are willing to serve God and say whatever it takes. Jeff Strucker stood right here Friday night 
And the moment that gripped me more than any is after he had come out of the city from his original plan of going in to support those who were going to be repelling and going in to catch a, a deed and all of his warlords and it all went sideways before they could ever get there because one of the guys repelling fell. He missed the rope, fell 70 feet. He was critically injured. They loaded him in the back of uh, Struker's Humvee. And as they were headed out of town, they rounded a corner and one of his soldiers took a round to the head and was killed, the first person killed in action in that battle. And as he got back, his commander said, Stryker, I need you to go back. I need you to get all the soldiers you can put in that Humvee. And I, we've got, a, we now have two Blackhawks down. We've got pilots in the city. We've got soldiers in the city. We've got the guys that were on the helicopters in the city. You've got to go back. He said, God, I can't. He said, and I went, someone said, but before you go, you need to clean out the back of that Humvee because other soldiers getting in, seeing all that red, they're not going to fight. And he told us Friday night, he said, I, I don't have, we didn't have running water. He said, so I grabbed the bottles of water I could find and with my hand, I washed that blood out of the back of that Humvee. And I was overwhelmed and I said, God, I can't go back. I, I know. He said, every logical bone in my body said, I'm going to die. And he said he had been reading that week as he does every day. But the scripture he read was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, God spoke just as clear and said, whether you live or whether you die, what's the difference if you do it for me? He said, that's the only way I could go back in. And the overwhelming thing in through all that, when he got back, and it, there were dozens killed, he said, and I'm trying to regroup, and all of a sudden he said, I've got soldiers coming up to me and said, I've got to talk to you now. Tears in their eyes, these these special operators, these great men that we so admire as special forces come up with tears in their eyes and said, I want to know about your Jesus. I need to know about your Jesus. He said, that's what solidified my calling to the chaplaincy. God used him as a witness right there in the middle of such devastation. You never know where it's going to happen. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. That word win in the Hebrew literally means to take, not with arrogance. It does not mean that you're a victor in the sense of, hey, look what I did, but that you are winning them to Jesus. I'm very blessed to have my nephew and my brother here with me this morning. And I was thinking this morning, one of the last houses that Chris and I built, 
We were, it was a day much like today, pretty day. We were about finished with the house and we had a couple of houses we were building at the same time. And so we'd hire, we had to hire some subs to do some stuff that we usually do. And so we had had some guys that had done some work and we said, hey, y'all want to build a deck for us? We just don't have time right now. And they said, yeah, man. And so we, we hired these, this guy and he had another helper that was going to build the deck and so they were working on it, and Chris and I were bouncing back and forth between one, one county and this county. And this day we came up, and they're sawing and working on putting together the, the, the deck. And we began to talk to the boss, the guy we hired, and he was a Christian. And we were fellowshipping in the spirit. And we were just talking about the Lord and his helpers over there just steady cutting, working, doing everything. Oblivious, you had thought to everything else going on. And we just stood there propped up for just a minute talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, the saw just stopped. And it was kind of an obvious pause. And us three, I don't even remember the guy's name that we hired. But he's standing there, Chris is standing there, and I'm standing there. And we turn and we look, and the guy that was doing all the saw, the laborer who was working for him, turn and look, and tears are rolling down his face. We're like, what's happened? You, what's the deal? He said, I don't have what y'all got. That's what he said. Hair stood up on the back of our neck, and Chris, he said, well, do you want it? Just like that. And he couldn't even speak. He said, we began to give him Jesus. We began to tell him straight. We didn't go get our, hold on a minute. Let us go put a suit on. Hold on. Could you build us a pulpit of wood? Can we go at least wash our hands and grab our Gideon New Testament? No. We didn't have phones that had Bibles on them. But what we had is what Jesus had placed in our heart. And we stood there. We gave him Jesus. And we began to go through Roman Road. We began to talk about who Jesus was from the Old Testament. And just like Peter at Pentecost and just like Paul at the Oropagus, we started from creation and we gave him Jesus. But you see, remember now, why was he standing there crying? Because Jesus had already gone before us quickened his heart. And all we did was just give him the good news. We, we, we quoted him scripture. And after a moment, I said, well, you've got all we can tell you. Do you want Jesus? He said, I do. He said, can you give us one good reason why you should not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior confessing your sins? Ask him to rush into your life, forgive you of all your sins and save you. He said, no, I want him now. I want him now. He knelt down literally on the wood pile. Over with his hands on the sawhorses. And we knelt beside him, us three, with our hands on him. And I will tell you, he called out and pled with God to forgive him of his sins. I'll never forget, Chris. 
when he stood back up and I looked down and the wood was wet. It was wet with the tears of a repentant sinner who literally cried out, Lord, save me. God changed him that day. It's not because of what Chris and I did. I planted, he watered, God gave the increase. The tree, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but he that winneth souls is wise. Acts 22, 14, 15 said, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen you that you should know his will and see that just one and should hear the voice of his mouth. For you shall be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and what you have heard. What, is, what have you seen and heard Jesus do in your life? Has he ever done anything for you? Huh? I mean, has he ever healed a sick baby? Has he ever cured cancer? Has he ever rescued you from a car wreck? Has he ever gave you comfort and peace you thought you couldn't find in the midst of death and destruction? You've seen him. Amen? Come on, church. Have you ever seen Jesus or heard him? Then that's what he says we're to tell the world. What was Paul going to tell them? He just simply told him what he had heard and seen Jesus do. What he'd seen and heard him do in his life on the road to Damascus. What did Peter say? He told them the day of Pentecost who Jesus was. What he had seen him do. Church, we need to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says, But let a man examine himself. Who are you to judge? I'm going to tell you. Number one, God said, I'm the judge of myself. Every day I need to put myself in check and say, Am I where I need to be with God? Am I honoring God with my mouth? And I'm going to tell you, after you say it, it's a lot harder in judgment than if you judge, should I say this? Should I say this? Should I do this? Examine ourselves. First of all, we ought to examine our character. Oswald Chambers, that great writer of my utmost for his highest, said, my word to God in public is what I am in private. You can't live like the devil every day and expect Jesus to honor you where the rubber meets the road. If you treat your family like dirt and you live uh, a terrible example in front of your wife, in front of your children, you can't expect. You may fool everybody, but you can't fool God. The Bible says that out of the same mouth cannot come blessing and cursing. For a fountain cannot put forth good and bitter water. And that which puts forth fruit will not have briars. Church, we need to evaluate and examine our character. Are we what God wants? What is character? A person's pattern of behavior or personality. Look with me in your own mind. What is my pattern? Is there a pattern in my life? Proverbs twenty eleven says, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Church, I pastored one time. I'd stand at the back door and shake everybody's hand like a good Baptist does, a little short, small shotgun church, and I'd stand there, and everybody'd shake my hand coming out. And there was one little girl every week. She'd come up. She'd look at me, 
Well, that dentist and dentist smile and stomp my foot <laughs> every Sunday. Every Sunday without fail. And she would always catch me off guard because I'd be shaking some sweet old lady's hand. Hey, it's wonderful to have you today. Amen. Bless God. And about the time I'd take her hand, I'd be like, oh, no. And I couldn't move. But even a child is known, and so I knew what was coming, and finally I got smart enough, I planned for it. One Sunday she come out, and she was waiting, she was waiting, she come up, and she got my hand, and her foot come up. And when she did, I raised mine up. And she looked at me with, you know what I'm talking about, with that, I'm going to get you. And I just stared back at her with the same eyes, I'm going to get you. And she kept inching it closer, I said, Come on. I said, mine's bigger than yours. I said, but if you stomp my foot, I'm going to stomp yours. And she kept on, she kept on. Finally, about the time she hit mine, I hit hers. I didn't hurt her. Take a deep breath. <laughs> she never stomped my foot again. Even a child is known by its behavior. You see that girl over there? She's always, you see that little boy over there? Boy, he's just always just wound up, blah, blah, blah. Listen to me. The world knows you can't fake it till you make it. They know how you are. You may think that, listen, as soon as they shake your hand and smile, they tell the next person, can you believe them? Church, we've got to be consistent in our character. We need to examine ourselves. Don't wait somebody has to come and tell you how bad it is. It's a description of the traits or quality of a person. Even in Genesis 49, do you remember when he goes down and talks about all the tribes of Israel? He describes every one and what kind of people they would be. What kind of people are you? The evidence of a Christian character. Number one, we're going to hear Christ. If we're going to be a witness, our Christian character says... We must hear him. John 10 tells us, and the sheep hear his voice. When's the last time you said, I've heard from God this week? God has clearly spoke to my heart through the reading of his word. I'm not talking about writing in the clouds, verbally. Listen, but you'll know when Jesus speaks. You say, how do you know? You'll know. Well, how do you know it's not something? Because the Bible says he's not the author of confusion. And the Bible just told us his sheep know his voice. I've, I've told you before, and it's true. And even Christian would tell you this. B.B. can be in a, a mall, she can be in a Walmart, and clear her throat. We'll say, there's Becky. She can be on the next level. <clears throat> There's Becky. That's not a slam. We can hear it. We know who she is. We know. Well, I got news for you. God's children know his voice. It's just that we, too many of us, don't have ears to hear anymore. We have dulled our hearing by all the noise of the world. We hear Christ and when we hear him, we follow him because in the same chapter, John 10, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
you're not following Christ, then you've got to check up and ask why. Are you not going where God wants you to go? Are you not doing what God wants you to do? You see, we hear Christ, we follow Christ, and we obey Him. Because hear me now, now I want you to think. You say, I, I know without a doubt, I hear Christ. I'm, I follow Christ. Judas Iscariot did both. He sat and heard Jesus for three years. For three years he followed him. Matter of fact, he followed him all the way to Jerusalem. Just short of the cross. But what he didn't do is he didn't obey Jesus. Church, some of us, we're we're hearing it. We come to church every Sunday. We go to Sunday school every Sunday. We listen to podcasts and we listen to Christian radio and we listen to this one and that one. We hear him. We're following Christ. We go to things and we do things. But are we obeying? Romans 16, 19 says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. Paul told the Christians at Rome, The whole world sees your obedience. The world will know. What is the evidence of a wicked character? Number one, will be disobedient. Titus 1.16 says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work they're reprobate. The Bible tells us too many have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Listen, I want you to understand, if your theology is completely wrapped up in what God can do for you, and who you see God as, and it has nothing to do with sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world, then you have an empty theology. Your theology is flawed. Because Jesus said the great commission, not the great consideration, is to win them to Jesus and then teach them to be a soul winner themselves. To make disciples. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're disobedient, we're displeasing, Romans 8, 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You have convinced yourself it's all right. You have made excuses why it's okay. You have justified, you have rationalized to the point that we have so weakened the holiness of God in essence in our mind that you are of absolutely no earthly good to a holy father. I got news for you. The righteousness of God has not changed based on the culture of this world. And we can pass all the laws we want. We can even embrace it in the church. But if it was sin at creation, it's sin today. If it was disobedience 2,000 years ago, it's disobedience today. And I've got news for you. God has not changed the meaning of his word, not one iota. It is complete. It is plenary. It is verbal. Holy Spirit inspired. Theonoustos. God breathed it. And it's still the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Be not deceived, church. God is not mocked. We're deceived. But these as natural brute beasts, 
made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand. What about not only our character, but our attitudes? 1 Corinthians 2, 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, our attitude is the manner of acting, feeling. Well, he's got an attitude. You know, attitudes are not bad as long as it's the right kind of attitude. It's a thinking that shows one's opinion, disposition, or frame, a mind, a temperament. Philippians 2 says that we are to be like-minded as Christ who submitted himself, surrendered himself, made lower than the angels, that he may be everything God called him to be. What's our attitude? Well, I believe Jesus loves everybody except that group. Well, I believe God's called me to be a witness except over there. Well, I just don't like them. Well, I'm just having a bad day. Well, I'm just the kind of person that speaks my mind. Yeah, and everybody knows that the Bible says that a fool is known in his words and the multitude of them. Church, if we don't love everybody, care about everybody, and have an attitude that but by the grace of God go I, and remember that we were lost and without hope and somebody preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to us and the Holy Spirit convicted us and the, that Jesus forgave us and saved us to the uttermost, if we forget that and start thinking we're something, make no mistake, you'll fall for anything. Disobedient, displeasing. We're deceived and in our attitudes we so often fail. Our attitude toward Christ means that we ought to care. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. What is our attitude toward the loss? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I may gain the more. Well, I'll serve them, but I'm not serving them. I'm not lowering myself to that. Jesus did. Two weeks we'll walk in here and listen to a great cantata. We'll have a wonderful time of worship on Easter. But I want you to understand something very clear. Jesus went to that cross for a lost, dying, sinful, wretched, broken world of whom I am chief. We must not forget Jesus died for sinners, not for the good. For there is none good. He didn't die for the rich and famous. He didn't die just for the poor and needy. He died for the world. Church, what's our motivation? Between the great things we cannot do and the little things that we will not do, the danger is we do nothing at all. Is that you? Our motivation is our drive. Like coaches say all the time, you can, teach, you can teach people the game, but you can't teach motivation. If they're not motivated, it don't matter. It has no matter how much of the game you teach them. If they have no intention that drives the person to do something, 
We need the proper motivation. Some of us are motivated to do the wrong thing. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's our personal motivation? We ought to be burdened for our family. We ought to be burdened for our friends. Listen, we ought to be burdened for those who are lost and those that the world has discarded. Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. When Jesus met with Andrew, Andrew ran to his brother. When the Philippian jailer met Jesus, he went home and told his family. When the two men on the road to Emmaus heard, they said, oh, did not our hearts burn within us? Oh, we met a man. We met the man, Jesus Christ. What about our ego? The ego is our self. The, the individual is aware of our self. John 1, 6, 8 said, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He understood that, for he said, He must increase, and I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth, but he that cometh from heaven is above all. Church, we must die to ourselves. Romans 6 says, For he that is dead is free from sin. How do we do that? How do we die to ourselves? He said in Titus 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, Moses chose to follow God than live in sin for a season. Denying worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, good works. Church, we can be a witness, but it starts inside. A man must examine himself. Am I who God wants me to be? Am I surrendered? Is my ego getting in the way? Do I have the right attitude about worship? I'm going to tell you, and I've not heard any of this, Matt, but if people come in and they say, oh, we don't sing this, we don't sing this, I'm going to tell you something. If you come in with that attitude, I can promise you, you'll leave with it. But if you come in and say, God, speak to me today. May all of my preconceived ideas, my agenda, my attitudes, my ego be laid bare at the cross, and may I see you today. I'm going to tell you, I'll preach the greatest message you've ever heard. Not because it'll be any different. The music will reverberate in your soul like you've never thought before. Even every note struck on an instrument or a chord strummed will stir you, not to be emotional, but spiritual because you have laid yourself at the altar of Jesus Christ and said, may I see you today. Church, I'm going to finish this tonight on our priorities. What is our priorities? And we're going to evaluate our church where we stand. Because, listen, we've been talking about the big invite. 
Can I say something to you? Friday night was a success because people invited people. I challenged our deacons to every one of them get a table and some of them got two. Some of them got three. People in every age Sunday school class, men, got tables, brought friends, unchurched, lost men. There was a whole group over here that came, people making decisions, rededicating their life to the Lord and said, I've not been what God wants me to be. I want to be what, I want to be the man of God. I want to be a Christian warrior, one who will stand faithfully for Jesus Christ. If you want to be that warrior, if you want to be the one to win your world to Jesus Christ, to tell your family member, to tell your neighbor, to tell somebody Jesus saves, why don't you come today? And say, God, I want to be considered one of those wise. Not because I want you to tell me that, but I want to be biblical. I want to be a soul winner. It's biblical, I just read it. I want to be a soul winner. I want to tell people about Jesus. You can tell people all about what you know about Jesus, but until you tell them who Jesus is in your life, then it's all about you. May our hearts change and our character and our our. our our ego, and may it be all about him that he would save sinners as they come to the instruments. I want to invite you, church, to a time of dedication that in the next two weeks will be the greatest example of faith in Jesus Christ that Eastside has ever been. And that we would individually be soul winners and soldiers of the cross. That we will face adversity with the power and the authority that is all of heaven. That we'd win people to Jesus. If you're lost here today, hear me now. Everybody up here, you can put your stuff up later. People sold. Uh, and by the way, church, if you got somewhere to go, it is not going to kill you to wait through two or three verses of a song because the person by you may be lost and when you get up and move you cause an interference of the spirit working in their life any kind of eruption any interruption may throw off their folks say oh I'll just wait you want to stand before God for that church I beg you may our hearts be in tune with Christ and if you're lost today why don't you come and pray dear God save me cleanse me forgive me May I know that you're my Lord and Savior. Come be a soul winner. Come be a Christian. Don't come to me. Come to Calvary. Stand and come. Stand and come. If others come, come pray with them. Iron sharpens iron. Come. Come to Jesus.